So over the years, we've had wonderful opportunities. For example, the medical students come about once a year and they practice taking a case history from someone with aphasia. And our members with aphasia teach them how to use supported communication techniques and how to hopefully improve in their ability to communicate with individuals who have aphasia. Welcome to the Listen for Life podcast with Genevieve Richardson. Genevieve is a speech-language pathologist rehabilitating adults with communication challenges after a stroke or due to a neurological impairment. Get equipped with knowledge from experts in the field and professionals you need to know. We'll hear stories and experiences from others who are navigating life with aphasia. So, put your earphones in and take a walk outside. This isn't just a podcast. This is a community, a resource, and a support system. We're in this together. Do life. Good afternoon, Melinda. Thank you so much for coming on to chat with me today. Thank you very much for chatting with me. When you are working with your students, are you Dr. Corwin? Yes, that's mostly probably because of my white hair. <laughs> You're very distinguished. So let's talk about how we met. We had the Tisha Conference, the Texas Speech Language Hearing Association Conference two weeks ago. It was, and I was so honored to meet you. Well, I attended your course and I was blown away by your passion, your enthusiasm for the aphasia community. Your talk was on the life participation approach to aphasia, which, you know, I'm just happy that there's a name for it now. I would love to talk a little bit today about you and your passions and where you teach. And let's jump into the life participation approach as well. Great. Well, I teach in a city called Lubbock, Texas. We're out in West Texas. And our university is called Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. Oh. We're part of the School of Health Professions. So it involves a number of, it used to be called allied health professions. And now we just call it health professions. We have a medical school, a nursing school, and then within the School of Health Professions, we have physical therapy, occupational therapy, physician assistant, clinical laboratory science. We also have a pharmacy school. So it's a wonderful opportunity to do a lot of interprofessional treatment of patients. And within our program in the Department of Speech Language Hearing Sciences, I get to direct the STAR program and STAR stands for Stroke and Aphasia Recovery nice. Program. It's a program that's been around for about 25 years and we serve individuals in the community and surrounding areas who are stroke survivors or we do have some traumatic brain injury survivors. We now have added a group for primary progressive aphasia and we've added a group for right hemisphere strokes because there was a need in the community. So our program serves about 65 individuals in total. That includes our one caregivers network. So we have a support group for caregivers. We like to think of it as 
a mix of psychosocial, psychoeducational support for those members. And it meets at the same time as nine other groups of our stroke survivors or, like I said, TB other folks. So the program has grown quite a bit over the years. I love that you are able to serve so many patients. 65, that's wonderful. Yes, and the program involves five clinical supervisors. So those are licensed speech-language pathologists, and we supervise a total of 20 graduate students in speech-language pathology every semester who serve as facilitators for the groups. Right. How does the interpersonal profession, the other professions, do they come in? Do they integrate in? Do they have access to these clients? What does that look like? Yeah. So over the years, we've had wonderful opportunities. For example, the medical students come about once a year and they practice taking a case history from someone with aphasia. And our members with aphasia teach them how to use supported communication techniques and how to hopefully improve in their ability to communicate with individuals who have aphasia. Then we do a simulation with our nursing students and the speech language pathology students administer the IFKI, which stands for the Inpatient Functional Communication Interview. And we do this in our simulation bay that is, it, it looks like an acute care hospital setting. And we have standardized patients who are trained to act as if they have severe Broca's aphasia and the speech language pathology students practice doing the inpatient functional communication interview. And then they give report to the nursing students. And the nursing students also practice giving report for the medical issues and the things that are going on with the patient medically. So, and we call those reports SBAR, situation, background assessment, and recommendations. And so anyway, that's another opportunity that we have. And then just this week, we had occupational therapy students come and meet with some of our members who chose to, and they did free occupational therapy screenings for home activities and participation. So it's wonderful to get to interact with our colleagues in other professions and to cross-educate each other about what each profession does and how we can be better providers. I'm just blown away. Are they students that are acting? Who is it that you said are trained to do that? They're called standardized patients and they're hired by our simulation center. Many of them are actually retired physicians or nurses who come back and they get paid for the day to serve as patient actors because they actually wear a hospital gown and they're in a hospital bed all day. And they allow students to practice things such as blood draws or <laughs> catheters or, you know, whatever, whatever the tasks are that the nursing students are needing to learn as well. They're wonderful. To do the training for aphasia, we use Dr. Jackie Hinckley's aphasia simulations, which are found on the website, Voices of Hope. They have aphasia that. simulations that are very, very helpful. I found that they're helpful for our stroke survivors, as well as caregivers to learn more about what it's like to live with aphasia. So we use those in our training of the standardized patients. 
And that's why we chose Broca's aphasia because severe Broca's aphasia is fairly easy to act if you aren't able to speak, but you can understand and you know more than you can say. So that's what we train these standardized patients to do during the assessment. Love it. I'm so glad that we have the STAR program because it offers the opportunity for 20 grad students per semester to get hands-on real-life experience. Forget the standardized patients and the simulations. Those are important, but to actually meet real-life human beings, individuals who are dealing with aphasia every day, to work with them and learn from them is really a gift. It is a gift. And because those students are then going to share that knowledge and expertise that they gain from this program with their colleagues as they go out into the field and interact. I'm all about bringing grad students over to the adult side of our profession. Me too. And we we have managed to what I call swing a few who thought that they only wanted to work with children. And now they realize that as I say, the brain is the brain across the lifespan, and I enjoy all ages, but especially adults. So it's fun. How did you get into speech pathology? In high school, we were required to write a research paper over three different careers. This is a true story. So I picked flight attendant, professional musician, and a speech pathologist And as I did my interviews and my research, because I graduated before internet days, so we actually used encyclopedias and went out into the community and interviewed real people. And I quickly learned that you didn't actually have to have a bachelor's degree in order to be a flight attendant. So I decided that my love of travel could be demonstrated in other ways, but maybe I didn't want to make that a career. And then I learned that professional musicians are great, but jobs are few and far between. (laughs) And it's a little bit hard sometimes to find work. And when I interviewed the speech language pathologist, she was at an outpatient rehabilitation center. And she shared with me that she saw clients of all ages. They came to her. It was an outpatient clinic. She saw them in her office. I thought, what a wonderful job this sounds like. What a wonderful career. So that's what sold me. And and I continued to pursue it through bachelor's and master's degrees. And I've loved the profession for 30 plus years. When did you decide to go for your PhD? That was about... 15 to 20 years into my career, actually, I went back to school and I got a PhD in human development and family studies. And I have had some people ask, well, why did you do that? How is that related to speech pathology? And I smile and say, well, the last time I checked, we worked with humans who develop and we work with their families. So I think it was a really good fit, actually. And I learned a lot about family systems theory and how to involve the entire family in in treatment. And it's been a wonderful PhD, but I've only held that PhD for a little over, well, it's about 15 years now. So anyway, I I had practiced in the field. I worked started in the hospital setting 
and worked in acute care and then in re inpatient rehabilitation for several years. And that was where I really fell in love with stroke survivors. Looking at all the pieces of your career, do you have a favorite spot? Do you have a favorite setting? Well, my favorite, my favorite spot population wise is definitely people with aphasia. I have been in the university setting. I've been teaching now for about 25 years. I started teaching when I had my master's degree. And then after I got the PhD, I did additional research, but continued to teach both undergraduate, graduate, and now PhD students and direct some of their research. And I find it very rewarding because the students are the future, right? They're the future of our profession. So if we train, if I, if I work with people, I can maybe see, for example, 30 patients a week. But if I train 30 students and each of them can see 30 patients a week, it's that ripple effect. And that's what I love about working with college students who want to go on and make this a career. Absolutely. I had reached out to UT San Antonio, UT Health sciences. And previously my mentor and I, we had had a variety of students from different universities. And then one university in particular, they decided that they didn't want telepractice, a hundred percent telepractice placement for an internship. I need somebody to influence. I need somebody to, to teach. I want, I wanted to host a grad student. So I looked at all the speech programs in Texas. I made a list and there's like 24. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. Like, wow. And I'm like, okay, well, where am I going to start? Who am I going to call first? And my oldest daughter was just starting her undergraduate and she was going to UTSA. So I'm like, well, okay, let's see who's in the speech department at you, you know, down at UT Health in San Antonio. And I was connected with Dr. Eaton and the rest is history. And it just turned out that there was a student waiting for an adult placement because her first one had fallen through or it was taking too much time. Oh, I'm so glad that you had the opportunity and that you're willing to share your expertise with students in training. It's entirely selfish for myself. I love it. I love it. So over the summer, they do intensive two-week programs. So they do three different programs over summer. And I got to be a supervisor. So I had six students. We had three patients. And it was the hardest two weeks just because of the intensity of it. I walked in on Monday morning, not knowing the clients, not even knowing the names of my students. But we got up to speed super quick and it was rewarding and I'm still in touch with two of the clients, you know, just as, as they are continuing to advocate for themselves and get back to doing all the things that they love to do. It's just really fun to see how we can impact these graduate student clinicians. And I think maybe I influenced a couple, maybe they'll be more open to going the aphasia route I keep in touch with them, you know, via text message and, and it's fun. It's rewarding. Oh, I'm so glad you do that. That's fabulous. So let's talk about the life participation approach to aphasia. Tell, so, tell me how you got into that. Tell, 
Well, I was similar to you, Genevieve, in that I always wanted to do things that I felt were meaningful to the patients and that would make a difference in the long term. And so I was, I found myself a bit uncomfortable doing some of the, the drill work type activities that I was trained to do in graduate school, but that's, that's all I knew at the time. And so that's what I was doing. And then I read the pivotal article by John Lyons and, and the colleagues who wrote about the life participation approach to aphasia, which came out about 20 years ago, but you know, it takes such a long time for things to trickle down to us in the trenches, those of us who are practicing. And so an organization was started in about 2015 or 2016 called Aphasia Access. And it's made up of a group of practitioners across the nation and now across the world. They have some world members from other countries who believe in this life participation approach to aphasia and who seek to provide person-centered care that really puts the person at the heart of collaborative goal setting, intervention goals, life outcomes, and so I was very excited to meet this group of people. And they have a summit every other year in the odd numbered years in the spring. This year, it will be in, at the end of March in North Carolina. It's a relatively new association and organization, but they're doing some wonderful things and they're trying to get the message out about LPAA the life participation approach to aphasia. And you and I talked about their our latest endeavor. It's a committee that I get to serve on with colleagues from across the country. So Nina Simmons Mackey from Louisiana, who's written lots and lots of wonderful articles on life participation approach, treatment and assessment for individuals with aphasia. So Nina Simmons Mackey from Louisiana, Marjorie Nicholas from Boston, Katerina Haley from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Jacqueline Lowers-Gore from Georgia State University. And we continue to add other team members. We now have Esther Ayuk from MGH in Boston. We have Brooke Hallowell, who has written a wonderful textbook for clinicians that I use in my aphasia course. Brooke is in Massachusetts. We've added Blaze Morrison, who is a counselor from University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And our project manager is Catherine Shelley, who was one of the first presidents of Aphasia Access. And so through this, we've developed an online course called the Knowledge Course. And it's the basic or the foundation part about the life participation approach to aphasia in person-centered care. We're currently working on the second course, which will be called the practice course, where it's more applicable. It has demonstrations of actually how to do assessment and therapy using this life participation approach. So we're really excited to roll that out. We've had several students enroll in taking the course and several professionals who say it's a good refresher because like you, many of us have been doing this for years and years. We just didn't know it had a name or how to frame it. And so we're excited about that. I'm excited. I attended your conference at Tisha. Tell us what the name of your presentation was. 
first do no harm because it reminded me of our code of ethics, the principles of maleficence and beneficence. My argument was that sometimes I think we commit maleficence without intending to. We could actually harm a patient by not considering all aspects of person-centered care. And not by not following a life participation approach, we might actually be causing harm, although it's unintentional. Agreed. Yeah, I, I loved your presentation. So coming out of your presentation that evening, so that was on a Thursday, I went home, looked up aphasia access and realized that that was the group I had just joined early in January, not oh, real, not, not making all these connections until I heard your lecture at Tisha. And, and I said to hubby, I'm like, any objections for me to go to North Carolina in three weeks <laughs> or whatever it was. So yeah, I booked it that night and I will be joining you in North Carolina. And I will be so excited to see you and, and introduce you to some of the other members. One of the things I love about the Aphasia Access Summit is that it, it only has between 100 and 200 people. So these are really all professionals who work with the people with aphasia on a daily basis and have a passion for serving this particular population. And the passion just shows. Audrey Holland has come every year. I don't know if she'll be able to make it this year, but she described it one year as a love fest because oh. everyone there loves people with aphasia. We love what we do and we strive to, to do better always, to do the best we can. And when we know better, do better. And so it's a wonderful intimate size conference, you know, on a much smaller scale than a state convention or a national convention. These are specifically all people whose passion is aphasia in both research and clinical areas. So I'm just so excited for you to be there and us to see each other and be there together. I think that's going to be the perfect marriage of in the trenches with research because sometimes, as, as you were explaining earlier, it takes so long for the research to get to the clinicians in the trenches. So this is, this is an incredible opportunity for us to really meld all that together for the benefit of the clients and their families that we serve. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so excited to visit with you as, as you get to hear these two days of, of the conference and see if it meets your expectations. I'm not worried about it one bit. I'll make sure to bring plenty of notebooks so I can write all my notes. I am grateful to you for coming on and sharing your story with us and telling us what you do at Texas Tech, how you impact these grad students, your amazing STAR program and working with allied health professionals. And I'm super excited. I love what you guys are doing. Oh, thank you. And thank you for allowing me to share and visit with you today. It's wonderful. Thanks, Melinda. We'll Thanks for tuning in to the Listen for Life podcast. We hope you feel empowered and supported. Head over to listenforlifepodcast.com to see the show notes with links and information from today's episode. Do you have a topic, a resource to share, or a guest recommendation? Inquiring minds want to know. Let us know in the comments section. Wishing you a fabulous week.